0: Reason. Let's start with a word of prayer. and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. And Lord, we thank you that for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment, may you minister to every heart. And Lord, we thank you that every word that's in the Bible is in there for a reason. And I pray that we would not miss anything that you want to speak into our hearts tonight. We pray also for those that are watching on live stream as well. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. So Nehemiah, as we remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, for King Artaxerxes, and he got news back from his brother who had visited Jerusalem as he was in Persia, and he found out that Jerusalem was still in rubble. Now remember that Zerubbabel in the beginning of Ezra had gone back at this point, it's been over a hundred years before. And when he went back, they were able to begin sacrifices again, but they never rebuilt the walls or the city itself. Then Ezra went back with another group of people. And again, while they addressed the spiritual problems, the city still had not been rebuilt. And they got so comfortable living in the rubble, it had been destroyed In the time of Daniel, so about 140 years have passed, and they're just living in the rubble. And there's so many applications to that, that we can live our life and just get comfortable with the world around us, and that's exactly what took place. Now, Nehemiah, when he hears about this, he begins to mourn, and he's the cupbearer for the king. So when he's standing before the king, the king quickly recognizes that he's not his normal joyful self. And in those days, it actually could be something that could cost your life, because if you stood with the king, you need to represent him well. And if this was the guy that taste tested your food and he had a frown on his face, you might be a little worried about that as well. Maybe he got bribed by somebody. So he says to Nehemiah, why are you so sad? And he tells them, because of the holy city, the place where my family, my fathers are buried, is still in disarray. Now, Artaxerxes had been the guy when they started trying to build 60 years, some some years earlier, he had told them to stop because he got word back that if they rebuilt the city, that he would lose the taxes, that they would take over all the cities that were past them. And so he told them to stop. So some 20 something years later, he's talking to his cupbearer, Nehemiah, and Nehemiah convinces him to let him go back and build. Now, what's amazing to me is a cupbearer, is a guy who literally has to be the most trusted man that the king knows. He has to be somebody he's trusting with his life every single day, but he's certainly not a construction worker. But God tends to use people in ways that we would never anticipate because when he does, God gets all the glory. Amen? He uses the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. Look at the apostles. These are not the guys you would pick if you were going to pick 12 people out of all the people in Jerusalem. And from the outward appearance, you wouldn't put... Uh, fishermen, and tax collectors who were hated by the Jews, and a bunch of uneducated guys. But that's exactly who the Lord chose. And He chose Nehemiah, and now Nehemiah has come back, and he has started getting them together to rebuild not just the walls, but the gates. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that he faced opposition right off the bat. And he had the, the the Gibeonites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, excuse me, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Arabs all came against him. And they all, when he started to rebuild, they said, are you going to go contrary to the king? Now we know that he got permission from the king, but guys, ultimately we don't do what the king wants. We do what the king of king want, kings wants. Amen. And so we obey God rather than man. So he's back. And that's what we looked at last week. And if you'll remember how the chapter ended, they despised him. They laughed at him. And so the end of the chapter talked about, you know, kind of mocking the fact that he was going to try to do this. But look how we look at the last verse of, of chapter two. It says, So I answered them when they were mocking him and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build. But you have no heritage or right. Or memorial in Jerusalem. He's letting these. The, it's funny that he's letting the Arabs know they have no memorial within Jerusalem. They're still fighting over that. Uh, we know that the Moabites and the Ammonites don't have an inheritance there either. It's the land that belongs to God's people. God gave it to Israel. It's still their land. Now, that being said too, he lets them know that it doesn't matter what the world says. God told him he's going to rebuild it. And instead of trying to be popular with men, let's be faithful to the command's of God. So in tonight's text, we're going to see Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem put feet to their faith. It's one thing to say we're going to build it, and it's another thing to build it. So we're going to see them starting to build, rebuild this wall that's been in rubble for 140 years and the gates that have been burnt to the ground. So he not only got permission from the king, he got the king to give them the supplies that they needed. Now he had to enlist people to come alongside him and build. And this chapter is amazing because literally he gets a buy-in from almost everybody. We're going to see tonight goldsmiths building a wall. We're going to see perfumers building a wall. We're going to see high priests building a wall. We're going to see people that are not construction workers, but when the call of God came, they're going to get out of their comfort zone and they're going to start serving the Lord. And that's what God has called us to do As Christians. It's one thing to recognize the call of God, and it's another thing to respond to the call of God in in face of opposition, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to respond faithfully to the call of God, to not be sidetracked or give up altogether due to the fear of men, faithfully following the Lord to do His will and rebuild the walls of the city, not to faint again in the fear of men. Again, everyone, uh, God had put this plan into place, And now it's their opportunity to step out and do it. And so one of the things that we recognize when someone is truly called, they don't just talk about it, they put feet to their faith. So everyone was a part of God's plan. Now, you have the outline there, and it's a totally different outline than I usually do. This is basically all the stuff I want you to take home. And we'll go through these as we go through the text. But we're going to see that there are 10 gates. And what I want you to see in these gates as they're rebuilding them, they're going to rebuild them, and they're quoted in a certain order in this text tonight. And the order that they are in are in that order for a reason. And what this text talks about is Jesus Christ and how this impacts, how our lives should be impacted, a picture of our life as Christian believers, and we see it here as they're rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem based on the gates, the names of the gates, and what takes place in the gates. So these gates are in the Bible for a reason. They're in the order that they're in for a reason. And yes, we're going to see practical things that took place at that time, but there also are clear applications for us living today. The Bible rocks, and there's nothing in the Word of God by chance. Amen? So let's begin there looking at verse 1. And we're going to see the sheep gate, and we'll talk about that. So it says in verse 1, so he says, we're going to go build. So he's, he's enlisting people to come help them build. Keep in mind, this is a huge endeavor. This wall in some places is 20 feet wide. This is not something that can be done just by anybody. It's going to take planning, it's going to take leadership, and it's going to take faithful su- stewards to do it. So it says, Elishib the high priest, Rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hanel. Now, these guys are priests. What do priests do? Do they build stuff? Priests. here's what a priest is. It's somebody who intercedes with God on behalf of the people and with the people on the behalf of God. The Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. So we are called, even though we're not high priests like in the Old Testament, but we are called to intercede on behalf of people with God and then tell tell people about God, to intercede on his behalf. And so that's what a priest does. But notice what they do. These high priests who are to serve You know, making sacrifice and leading people into worship are also willing to get their hands dirty, to get out of their comfort zone, and to build the first gate. And the first gate they build is the sheep gate. Now, it's called the sheep gate because when the sacrifices were made, they came through the sheep gate into the temple where they would be sacrificed. And so it's called the sheep gate for that reason. It's the first of 10 gates on the northern wall of the city. It's close to the temple and it's uh, the gate through which, again, all the sacrificial animals would come on their way to the temple. It was the most important gate to the high priest because it needed to be functional or there could be no sacrifices. Now, the sheep gate. When you see the sheep gate, who do you think of? Jesus. The Bible says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not by chance that the first gate that's mentioned here is the sheep gate. It's because everything begins and ends with Jesus. Amen. Without Jesus, the rest of it is a waste of time. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw him, when he began his public ministry. So all the blood of all the sheep and goats, all the sacrifices that are made in the Old Covenant, when Jesus is there, when they're in the upper room for the Last Supper, and he says this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. All the blood of bulls and goats was always pointing to Jesus. Every one of these sheep that is brought through the gate has all been pointing to Jesus. And we know because we have the completed revelation that Jesus is the answer. So Nehemiah, through God's direction, places Eliashib at the wall closest to his home a great incentive to do the very best. If you're building something outside of your own house, how well do you want to take care of it? They should be doing it for the Lord anyway, but this gate literally is going to be the gate they go through every single day. It's right outside of the temple and they want to do the best they can with what is right in front of them. And I truly believe our ministry begins in our own homes. The first place that we want to do ministry is within our own house. I had a guy call me recently and he was struggling with his walk and he says, I don't know where to begin. I said, here's where you need to begin in your marriage. And you need to begin with your children. And you need to make your house the first place where you're a, you'll be a priest in a household. Serve your family, love your family, lead your family. Now, my brother, who's now in heaven, he was a construction worker. And they have this old construction worker saying, when I would work with him sometimes, uh, he did concrete and every once in a while, I'd look at it, and the level be off a little bit, and he'd say, can't see it from my house. That's not a good thing. You don't want to hire that guy. Can I get any into to that? You can't see it from my house. He'd be joking, and we'd fix it. But the point is that when, when it's something you own, you want to do the best you can. Well, we're doing it for the Lord. So it belongs to the Lord. And so these priests get out of their comfort zone, and they're out there building a gate. They're out there building the wall that surrounds it. So Eliashib... Is acting as a godly leader should. He's leading by example, not too spiritual or too important to get his hands dirty and to do the hard work of rebuilding the walls. If he was slow to work, feeling above the duties of a servant, others would have followed his lead and sat on the sidelines. As you lead, know your actions will impact others. You know, again, he's just a man like any other man, but, you know, I have four pastors that I consider my pastor. First one's my dad, who's now in heaven. Who the, the reason one of my very first my, my mom says my first word was Bible. So I would go to church and watch my dad teach the Bible. My brother and I would go home at three years old and stand on boxes and preach at each other because that's what our dad does. So that was my pastor. Then my other pastor was John Snoddy when I was in, when I was a first when I was in my twenties. That's where I was ordained as a pastor. My other pastor is Don McClure, where I served for five years as a youth pastor in the men's ministry. I was 10 years in Lancaster. But, but my other pastor is a pastor to pretty much every Calvary guy we claim as their pastor, and that's Chuck Smith. And one of the things, I, many things that I learned by just watching Pastor Chuck is I was, I was at retreats with him and I'd see him out picking up trash. I'd see him, one time we were out at a Green Valley Lake and they were finishing the building on the main uh, sanctuary. And I look up and Chuck Smith's on the roof. And he's, and he's putting the roof on. I'm like, are you kidding me? And what it taught us, what it teaches me is, look, if you look at someone who's called to lead spiritually and they're not afraid to serve faithfully, that's the example that we want to follow. Amen. Well, this guy, he's the high priest at the time. He's the guy that, if Yom Kippur took place, if the Day of Atonement took place, he'd be the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifices. And yet he's out here building the gate. As believers. We should never think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we should never think that we're above any kind of service for the Lord. Amen? We should be willing to dig ditches for Jesus. Whatever the Lord needs us to do, let's do it for the Lord. And let's do it with the right heart. He's the high priest. He's mentioned first. It's a beautiful picture of the high priest to come. The ultimate service and his servant, his name is Jesus. So the high priest at the sheep gate, And Jesus is the great high priest, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the rest of the chapter, over 50 names of others who are going to follow this example. They're going to see this example and they're going to follow it. So we're going to see this word, they built and repaired. They built and repaired. They built and repaired. And we're going to see it over and over. And Nehemiah 3 is all about work, how individuals from every walk of life pinched in and did the work together, led by Nehemiah. Now notice it says they consecrated it. That word is, you could also interpret that sanctified. It means dedicated, set apart for holy use. And all we do should be done as unto the Lord and for His glory. So they were going to do this and they're doing it for the Lord, so they're going to do it well. And even the way we put the chairs away when we're done here, everything that we do for the Lord, we should do it well. We should leave the place better than we found it. We got to be the same way in the work environment. Everywhere we go, just remember that we're representing the Lord, and they were setting this apart to be used for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Now notice they do it to the Tower of Hundred and the Tower of Hanel. That's the northeast corner of the wall between the Sheep Gate and the fish gate. And Hananel means God has favored. So this is the first of the 10 gates. In the new Jerusalem, there's going to be 12 gates, one for each of the 12 apostles. This is how we know there are no more apostles, by the way. If I see somebody on, that online, they say, I'm, I'm the most magnanimous, holy, potentate, bishop, reverend, uh, apostle. I'm like, dude, that, that guy needs to get saved. Amen. Because guys, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but there are no apostles anymore because it says it in heaven, they have the names of the 12 apostles on the 12 pillars in heaven. It says this in Revelation, and with the great wall and high had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And then it says that 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was with one pearl. The streets of gold were pure gold. As transparent glass. So, both in Revelation, it tells us there are going to be 12 gates, but at this time there were only 10. So, then it says in verse 2, and I find this interesting next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery built. So, while they were overseeing the sheep gate, the walls between the sheep gate and the next gate we're going to come to is the fish gate, each gate. There were people that had to be in between those gates building up the walls. And I find it interesting that guys from Jericho were building the wall in Jerusalem. When you think of Jericho, what do you think about? The walls come tumbling down. Joshua marched around and God told him to blow horns instead of fight. And the guys in Jericho thought their wall was so invincible that they mocked them. And they marched around and they played horns. And what happened? Their walls fell out. And I find it interesting that guys from Jerusalem blew walls and their walls fell out. Jews did that. And now they're helping the same people who blew horns and their walls fell down to rebuild their walls. That's called a God thing. Amen. You got people that literally are now helping rebuild the walls Of the one men that were once their enemies many generations have passed and it just shows that god can bring people who are once enemies to be united in their worship of the lord so jericho again known for joshua's army and now we see them coming alongside god's people to build in jerusalem so it wasn't only people in jerusalem that built we're going to see other people come alongside them we had, the, we had three kings that were mocking them, but we had others that recognized that God's hand was upon them and God moved upon them to do the work. So the first one there, the sheep gate, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to see the rest of the gates have bolts and bars to lock them up. So they have to be unlocked. The only gate that doesn't have bolts and bars is the sheep gate. And, there's not a, and I know exactly why that is, because there are no barriers that keep us from coming to Jesus. Amen? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We all have access to the Lord. Come unto me, all you labor. You know, whoever believes in me, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have access to the Lord. Now, the second gate is the fish gate. Now, look what it says. Also, the sons of Anessa built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. Now, the fish gate... I wonder why it was called the fish gate, because that's where they brought the fish in. So they brought fish into the city. Now keep in mind, you have the Sea of Galilee, and you have the Mediterranean Sea, and you see later, years later, you see the apostles and their fishermen. So fishing was a huge industry and a huge way that they fed the people. So they had a gate for the sheep, and then you go down the wall some distance, and here's another wall. Another gate, and it's the fish gate. It's located on the northeastern part of the wall, west of the sheep gate. It's where fish were brought into the nearby fish market. Now, what's interesting about that, so if the sheep gate represents meeting the Lord, coming into a relationship with the Lord, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, what is one of the things that Jesus said to the apostles early on when they decided to follow him? Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers Fishers of men. So is there any, by chance that we have the sheep gate, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the people that respond to Jesus Christ, the first thing that you see that Jesus calls them to do is follow me. So guys, it's one thing to meet the Lord and it's another thing to follow the Lord. So the first thing we see is that we have access to Jesus Christ. He is the savior, he is the lamb of God. And then after we surrender our lives to him, again, we need to be following the Lord. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look what it says in verse 4. And it says, And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Hurijah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, meshalam the son of Bar- Barakiah the son of Mezebel, made repairs. And next to Zadak, the son of Beda, made repairs. Now, these guys are all being mentioned, and it's an exhaustive list Because they're mentioning by name everybody who's faithful to do the work. And by the way, God knows who's being faithful to do the work. Amen? You can get away. You can get over on your boss at work. You can go hide in the bathroom for two hours and hope he doesn't notice. You can go on a long lunch. But here's the reality. God knows who's being faithful to do the work. And as we'll see in a moment, who's not being faithful to do it. Now, again, when we do the work for the Lord, it should be a get to, not a have to. And when you're called to do something, it's a joy. It's not, oh, is it my turn in the children's ministry? Oh, you know, I think I'm sick. You know, that kind of thing. We don't want to do that. When we do ministry, it should be a joy. It should be a passion for us. It should be a priority, a get to, not a have to. And we see that all these people are being risen up to come alongside him. And he's listening every name because God knows those who are faithful are responding to the call he's placed upon them. The Bible says that we must be built up and repaired. Again, that's what they're doing. And Ephesians 4, it says, God says the purpose of the church is the equipping the saints. And the idea of being equipped is to prepare, strengthen, and make something able to be used. We come together as Christians to strengthen one another, to make us strong and able to live for the Lord and to serve outside the gathering of the church. We come here to be refueled, to go back out into a lost and a dying world, to be salt and light. We come here to be fed, to be encouraged, to use our gifts to minister to one another, and then to go back out to our mission field when we walk down that hill. It's wonderful to consider, what did Jesus do for a living when he was, when he, before he started his public ministry? What did he do? He was a construction worker. So he was a builder himself. Jesus is God. He could have had any job he wanted. He chose to be a builder. And again, we have these people building these walls. And part of that is what happens in the body of Christ. We're to build each other up. We're to encourage each other. We're to put ourselves on a strong and a firm foundation. And building we see is throughout all of Scripture. Now watch what happens here in verse 3. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to work of the Lord, to the work of the Lord. So the the tail kites themselves were willing to work. When we get towards the end of the chapter, they're actually going to go help somebody else with their work. They're going to get done with their place and run and go help somebody else. They're the only ones we're going to see building two parts of the wall. But notice some of the take don't work at all. Look what it says there. And who is it? It's their nobles who did not put their shoulders to work of the Lord. The people of the city were more than willing to work, but the nobles, this means the great or majestic ones. And it says they put their shoulder, it says in other translation, they did not bend their necks to do what the Lord wanted them to do. God notices who works and he notices that these guys didn't. So they didn't work, and they get their names in the Bible for it. Didn't work, lazy, or thought they were above it. Thought that somehow, let someone else work. I'm above that. And that's, that's pride. We're to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. I mentioned Chuck again, but we were at the pastor's conference. He, we'd come every year and he would. his first message was almost always something along this lines. Touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. He'd say, turn around, look around all the pastors in here. He said, some of them won't be here next year because they'll be disqualified. But then he would also say, I was walking through the parking lot and I was noticing a lot of people that I know are senior pastors walking along and everybody else is carrying in their stuff. Who do you think you are? You got to love Pastor Chuck. Who do you think you are? Some of you, those cars out there look a little expensive for a pastor to be driving, by the way. And you know what? He would just give it because, you know, it's a room full of senior pastors. He'd let us have it. And and you know what? It was exhortive, and we needed to hear it. Well, these nobles think that they're that guy. They think that they should have everyone serving them. And when they're called to serve the Lord, they think they're above it. They think they've arrived. And that is a man or a woman that God will not use. We need humility to help. It appears that these men thought they were too good, and again, yet the high priest and Nehemiah helped. So here we have the high priest who's got the highest calling of anyone there, which is to go into the Holy of Holies, and yet he's not afraid to build. But these noblemen think they're above it, and I pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that every one of us is a servant, amen? The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be servant of all. Guys, we've all been called by God to serve, all of us. And we'll stand before God at the Bema Seat Judgment, and we will be held accountable for what we have done with the gifts God has given us. We see the parable of the talents in the Bible, and one guy buries his talent in the sand and then gives it back to his master when he returns. And the Lord didn't give you a gift so you could bury it in the sand. He gave you a gift so you could use it for his kingdom and his glory. Point number three, the old gate. Look at verse six. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Hassiah, and Mashalem, the son of Bedadiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Now the old gate is a picture of something that's been around for a long time. And the two things I wrote here, and I'll I'll, I'll share a verse with you later when I go go over all these again at the end, but the old gate is something that Is been there a long time that's unchanging, unwavering, and remains forever. Well, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the thing that's old, that we stand on, and if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true, and that's the Word of God. Amen? Because it is. It is the foundation for the truth. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the old gate represents, and we'll see this later. I've got a verse written down that talks about it in Zechariah 14. About the fact that the old ways, the word of God, is the way that we want to follow. Now, notice it says in verse seven and next to them, Menetiah the Gibeonite, Jadon the Marathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Now, these men were not even working on the walls. Most people are working on the walls and the gates, and these guys went and were building the residence for the governor. What I love about this is that all of us have different callings. And while most people may be focused on one thing, God may call you to do something that no one else has even noticed, that that other people don't make a priority. And that's one of the ways I know someone is called. You've heard, I just talked about this a couple weeks ago, a burden is a spawning ground of a calling. When you see something and you see a need and you recognize it, often that's because God's calling you to do it. And it's amazing how you'll all of a sudden have a burden for something that no one else even notices. People come up to me sometimes here at church and go, hey, Pastor Dave, I really noticed that we need this. And why aren't we doing that? I said, because I've been waiting for you to come and show up and tell me that we needed to do it. So now you're in charge. Amen? Because the reality is that, you know, there's a lot of ministries I would love to do here. But if I draft someone, I got to sustain them. When God calls you, God will give you a burden for it. When I first became a youth pastor back in the 80s, God gave me a super, and I still have a supernatural love for teenagers. I just do. But I remember how all of a sudden, I would, I would be driving down the road on the way to the grocery store, and I'd see 20 teenagers on skateboards in a parking lot, and I'd pull my car over and get out and start talking to them. Because I, and I started thinking from their perspective what their life was like. And before you knew it, we'd open up our house, and I'd come home from work, and there'd be 15 teenagers in my pool, and we'd barbecue. Because what? I had a burn for these kids. Because I knew they were making a, they were an important, you know, time of their life, making a decision to follow the Lord and get caught up in the things of the world. And so it became a get to. I had, I love those kids, and some of them now are in their 50s, right? And when they contact me still, I say, once one of Dave's kids, always one of Dave's kids. They're like my kids, and I love these kids. Well, you know what it is? It's, it's called a burden. When God gives you a passion for something, when God stirs you up, when, and you'll notice that when someone's called to do something, they do it well they don't do it halfway. And you'll notice that about practical things around here. You see something being done well and you go, that's calling. That's calling because they're doing it right. And so here these guys are, you know, it may have been easier to be with the rest of the crowd, but they've gone into the city and they're rebuilding the residence for the governor. They're being faithful to their calling. But watch this. Verse eight, next to Uzel, the son of Hariah, where one of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, uh Hananiah, one of the perfumers. Now, if I want to remodel my bathroom, I'm not calling a dude that makes perfume. That's the last thing. I'm, I'm thinking if that dude makes perfume, he's probably got soft hands. That brother didn't have a callus anywhere near him. Why do I want that guy, a perfumer? I don't think so, bro. No, right? But here they are. We've got a goldsmith. They don't build stuff. And we've got a perfumer. And they're building you know what? Sometimes God will use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He'll take somebody that may not be their gift. One of the things I really love that took place in Santa Cruz after 10 years, we've been trying to get a building. We met in a huge gym and we grew from very small to a very large church in this gym. We finally got a building. And what we did is we traded out six months of, of rent to do all the improvements ourselves. So they could have done the improvements and charged us the rent. So here's what happened. We had hundreds of volunteers that came and helped build. And look, if, if I have a manual, I can put something together. That's about it. I'm not, I'm not Pastor Tim. I don't fix stuff for the most part, okay? It's not my gift. But you know what was amazing? We had people coming 24 hours a day. We'd have people work all day and then show up at midnight. There's Christian music playing in there. People are making food over here. And I have a strong back, like pick up that drywall and I can do that. I can carry that over here, break that down. And it was amazing for about six weeks... Our whole church, tw- there was people there all day, every day, and to watch all of us come together to build it, and then it was all done, and it was such an amazing thing to be a part of that. Well, that's what's taking place here. This place has been in rubble for 140 years, and no doubt what the excitement must have been to see the wall being rebuilt, seeing all the gates going back up, knowing that worship is going to start again completely. What a blessing that would be to be a part of that. And do you know that part of one of the walls from the days of Nehemiah we'd have been in Jerusalem last month if the trip didn't get canceled it's still there it's still there so that was good so even though they had perfumers working on it it stood up even though they had goldsmiths and they had priests who didn't really know what they were doing and yet God can give us the ability to go beyond our own ability and so the area known today that they had rebuilt, rebuilt, it says it's, they built the broad wall. Well, that's the wailing wall. That's the western wall where the wailing wall is now on the western side of the walls of Jerusalem. And it's amazing to me that part of that wall was built by these guys that seem so unqualified. Verse 9, and it says there, and next to him, Raphaiah, the son of her, leader of half the district of Jerusalem made repairs. So here's a guy who's the leader of half the district. The other leader is Nehemiah. So this guy is like a governor of half of all of Jerusalem and and Judah. And what is he doing? He's out there working. Now you have these noble men who sat back and thought they were above it, but these guys in great positions of great authority, guys who people look up to, are leading by a godly example. And the example is lead. Go serve. Show people what a servant looks like. Don't be sitting on the sideline waiting for someone else to do it. Another leader who knew real real leadership was getting down and doing it, being a servant instead of expecting others to do it for you. Verse 10. So it says there, Malchajiah, the son of Haram, and Hashbib, the son of Peath Moab, repaired another section, as well as to, uh, to the tower of ovens. And next to him, Shalom, son of Hellish, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, he and his daughter made repairs. Here's another guy who's in a position of great authority, and he's working. Now we come to the next gate, the fourth gate. And it says here, Hanam, the inhabitants of Zenoa, repaired the valley gate. So here's what's happening. You're starting at the Sheep Gate, and you're going to the West. You go Sheep Gate, Fish Gate, Old Gate, and then the next gate is the Valley Gate. Now, what's interesting about that is the Valley Gate is a picture of the trials of life that we go through as believers. So you give your life to the Lord, and now, as a believer in Christ, right? We're called to be fishers of men to go out and reach the lost world with the gospel. And how do we do that? We take not what's new that, we, you know, isn't true, but we grab the word of God, that which is old, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and then we go out and we're living our life for the Lord, and as we live li- our life for the Lord, we are going to face trials. The Bible says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And as we step out in faith, as we are being obedient to what God has called us to do, we are going to go through valleys in this life. It tells us in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's been said, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Everyone in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. So yes, we, we see salvation. And yes, we are, we are called to go out and be fishers of men. And yes, we're being equipped by the word of God. But in the midst of all of that, we are going to face opposition. And we are going to go through trials. And God knows that. Now, what's interesting is, along with the, the next, we'll go to the next gate in just a moment. Many of these people, it's mentioning places that are near their home. Many of these guys are being put in the, the fence, the, the gate that is right outside of their house. This is where I live. The gate's right there. And it tells me that, you know, one of the things we need to do is make sure that we start our ministry in our home, as I mentioned before. So far, we've seen uh, Jedediah; His name means he who, he who calls unto God. Our homes must be a place of prayer. He started in his home. He was a man whose name means he who calls unto God. Benjamin, we'll see him in verse 23, means son of my right hand. Speaking of a protector, our homes must be places of protection and peace. Men, you should be the man who protects your household. You should be the man that makes sure that your family is safe. If someone comes through that door, you better be out there first. Can I get an amen to that? Every man in the room should lay down his life for his wife and his children. His children should know that my dad will protect me. My dad will serve me. My dad will care for me. My dad will provide for me. My dad will pray for me. My dad will lead me. Guys, we need to be those men. The reason our country is the mess that it is today, first, because we're not where we need to be with the Lord and because we don't have godly dads raising godly kids in godly homes. Amen. So it starts with us. And so I love these these guys here because it says of their names. One is calls unto God. That's a man. He's calling to the Lord. The next one speaks of a man who protects his family. Zadok means justice. Our homes must be a place of integrity, especially with integrity regarding to our marital vows and our promises. Amen? Godly men, you have eyes for one woman, that woman you're married to, and keep your eyes off for everyone else. Amen? A little fired up tonight, okay? But here's the reality. As men, one of the biggest tragedies I see is guys I had coworkers and they'd be hounding on women in the office and they're married. And that didn't go over well with me, as you can imagine. What are you doing, bro? I'm gonna tell. You know, I'm calling your wife in Jesus' name. I will tell. But here's the reality. I have one I have eyes for one woman, everyone else is my sister. That's the way we ought to look at it. Amen? All the other women here, I love you all, but you're my sisters in the Lord, and I have one wife. I've got eyes for her, and he's saying, "Look, that these men have been, be, a, be a man of integrity, be a man who's faithful to what's in your house, and do not look. I would, and you shouldn't watch or look at anything you wouldn't look at with your wife and your kids sitting right next to you." Amen. Exhort, exhortation over for the moment. Okay, so build where you are. These guys were starting right near their own home. And that's the place where we all need to begin. If you don't know what your ministry is, I can tell you your first ministry begins in your home. Now, next to the valley gate, notice what it says there in verse 14. It says, uh, Malchijah, the son of Rahab, leader of the district of ramath uh, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. The refuge gate, some of yours says the dung gate. And it's basically where they got rid of all the trash. They took all the trash from the city out that gate and they threw it off into what is called Hinoam. And Hinoam's got another name, it's Gehenna. Now, Gehenna in the Bible is a picture of what? What's a hell? So, literally, what they did is they would take all the garbage and they had a, a valley outside the dung gate. And they had a fire going and they would throw all the trash into this fire and it would burn all the garbage up. Now, what's interesting to me, we have the valley, the trials of life, but one of the things that God will use the trials of life to do is to bring us to the end of ourselves and for us to remove some of that sinful behavior that's in our life. It's a place of repentance and brokenness. When we come to the end of ourselves, sometimes the trials of life are the things that draw us closer to the Lord. Often people will say to me, I've got a daughter or I've got a son or I've got a husband or a wife or a friend that's so far away from the Lord. And here's the prayer I tell them to pray. Lord, do whatever is necessary to get their attention. And if that means they have to go to prison, if that means they have to get sick, whatever it takes, so they will stop and look up. See, The trials of life will bring us to a place where we recognize that we're outside of God's will sometimes. Some of the trials come as we're obeying God, and some of the trials come because we're outside of God's will. And so what happens is it comes to a place where we need to recognize, we need to turn away from our sin. We need to repent. We need to put the flesh to death daily. We need to die to self. The refuse gate is a picture of sinful behavior being removed from our lives and us dying to our flesh, being new creations in Christ. And again, that valley where all the garbage was thrown, where it was all set on fire, It's a picture of Gehenna associated with the divine judgment of God. Next, in verse uh, 15, we see the fountain gate. Now, Shalom, the son of Hazai, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate he built, covered it, hung its doors with bolts and bars, repaired the wall of the pool of Shela, called to be the pool of Shalom, By the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down to the city of David. I almost brought a map, I was going to put it on the back, and there's a map showing where all these walls are, where all these gates are in the wall. And as we continue to move around in one direction, we're seeing that not only are these gates being done in order and they're being called out in order, but it also, again, is a picture of what takes place in the life of a believer. Now, the fountain gate. Is near the wall that's near the pool of Siloam. And water, what is living water in the Bible a picture of? The Holy Spirit. So here we are. We, we're, we start off again with the sheep gate collision head-on collision with jesus christ he's the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world having been born again we're called to be fishers of men the old gate it's if it's new it's not true it's the word of god in jeremiah 6 it says stand in the ways and see ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it then you will find rest for your souls the word of god the valley gate is the trials of the christian life walking through the valley of shadow of death the refuse gate is sin and sinful behavior being removed from our lives learning to put our flesh to death. We're all new creations in Christ. But then the next thing, and we've been talking about this on Sunday, is the Holy Spirit with you, in you, and upon you. And now what happens as we're in that relationship with the Lord, we get closer to the Lord. We go from just having him in us to being upon us. And that fountain means that living water is pouring out on people around us. Guys, as believers, wherever we go, we take the Holy Spirit with us. And if we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if we're filled with the Lord, we can't help but splash on the people around us, amen? Other people ought to get wet just being near us because we're walking with the Lord. Now, we need to be refilled with the Spirit. We need to be refreshed by the Spirit. But I love this picture of the fountain gate. It says this in John 7, He who believes in me, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. John seven thirty eight. In John four fourteen, 14, whoever drinks of the water, this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well, that I shall give him shall never thirst again. But the water I shall give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So they're building, they've got the fountain gate. It's right by the pool of Siloam. You see that throughout the gospels. And it's as they're building this gate, as they're going through these different gates, they're, by the way, There's never anything in the Bible by coincidence. Amen? God puts it in the Bible for a reason. And it's in this order for a reason. And when we look up what the origins of these words are, it's in there for a reason. So when God had them building these gates, and when they named these gates what they named them, He knew we'd be standing here thousands of years later talking about these gates and how they apply to our lives because it's in the Word of God. Amen? Amen? And so guys, that's why we don't just skip over the genealogies. When we get back to Matthew, the, you're going to hear the first message I taught when we planted this church. It's a genealogy. Who starts a church with a genealogy? I did. Because we started in Matthew, and it's in the Bible, and so we taught it. Guys, we don't skip over stuff, amen? And so the fountain gate, and may I pray that our hearts would be fountains of living water that would pour out on the people Around us. Now, verse 16, we're going to recognize a name here. It says, After him, Nehemiah, the son of Asbuk, leader of half the district of Benzer, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David, to the, man, the man-made pool, and as far as the house of the mighty. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Nehemiah had a burden given by God. Nehemiah didn't just ignore it. Nehemiah approached the king, knowing it could even cost him his life. Nehemiah gets permission from the king. Nehemiah travels almost a thousand miles, takes months to get there, gets all the, the boards and everything else they need, all this stuff. He comes back, he tells the people why he's there. He rounds up the people to do it. And he could have sat back and said, I am the, uh, you know, I'm the contractor. I'm going to sit back here and watch. That's not what he does. What does he do? He puts his hand to the task. Nehemiah, we're going to see later in this book, he's going to be building a wall with one hand and fighting off the enemy with the sword in the other hand. That's what the Bible tells us. Now again, if that's literal, it's just a picture that he's building a wall and he's fighting off the enemy. But guys, we want godly men and women who don't just sit back and watch everyone else serve the Lord or be in a position where they think they have authority so they can just let everyone else do the work. Nehemiah is the example of a man who was being Faithful. Notice it says the house of the mighty near the the tomb of David. Uh, many believe this is where the mighty men. The, this was the headquarters for David's mighty men. Remember David's mighty men. You know what was mighty about them? They were mighty fighters. But everything else about them was a mess. They were a bunch of. Guys with nowhere to go. They were a bunch of disgruntled individuals. And David raises, takes these guys and raises them up. And they become mighty men of God. And they were mighty warriors who, when many, you know, had a lot of uh, strength. And God used them in a mighty way. But he took a bunch of misfits and they became mighty men. And you know what? That's what our God does. He takes misfits and turns us into mighty men and women of God if we will let him. Amen? And so we see King David and I love his example. By the way, Notice that we have both warriors here and then guys building walls. We need both. The Bible tells us that we fight a spiritual battle every day. We don't just hide behind the wall all day and and hide out from the world. And we saw a guy do that in Daniel chapter 5. His name was Belshazzar. How'd that work out? Guys, remember that? He was having a drunken party and the wall was so great that he just thought he was safe and he ignored the enemy. And then the hand of God came down and wrote on the wall and they stopped up. Uh, the water supply into the city and they walked through it and he lost his life. So as believers, we don't just put up the wall and hide behind it. We also don't, don't just go out and fight the battle and leave the walls down. We need to do both. We build up a wall as far as we make sure that we, we guard ourselves from the things of the world. We guard ourselves from the temptations of the world. But we also go out and share the love of Christ with a lost and a dying world. We need both warriors and walls if we're going to be used mightily by God. Now, verses 17 to 25, we don't list any gates here. Um, we're going to get to the next gate at verse 26, but I'll, I want to just touch on some of this. But notice it says, after him, the Levites, who, what do the Levites do? What do they do? What tribe are they? They're the priests. So this is a priestly tribe. And what are they doing? They're building walls. It says, the Levites under Ram, son of Banai, made repairs Half the district of Keilah made repairs for his district. Again, they're making repairs close to home. It has great meaning to them. That's a wonderful thing. After him, their brethren under Babi, the son of Hanadad, leader of the other half of the district of Keilah, made repairs. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Joshua, the leader of Mizpah repaired another section in front of the ascent of the army at the buttress. So we're just going around the wall. We're just, if I had the map in front of you, we'd just see we're just moving around the wall to the west. We're going to end up back where we started by the time we get to the end of the chapter. After him, Barak, the son of Zabai carefully repaired the other section for the buttress to the door of the house of Eli- Eliashib, the high priest. So what's amazing to me, Eliashib is at the sheep gate because he's a priest, and so his house is not being protected, so someone else went to his house and is building a wall near his house. And I love that, that he's being faithful to serve where he's called to be, and others are being faithful to minister to his family at the same time. You know, we need to learn to not just build for ourselves, but to build for others. You know, he's building the sheep gate, that's where his highest calling is, but we also need other people to come alongside and help those who are unable to build again around themselves. You know, the Sheep Gate's important because it reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus, but it also reminds of him us of, of, of us of his, as His people. We are called sheep, right? And by the way, that's, that's a great thing until you realize that sheep are stupid. Amen? One of the funniest videos I've ever seen in my life is these guys find this this sheep stuck in a ditch, there's a fence right here in the ditch right here, and it's stuck in the ditch, and it literally takes them like 45 minutes to get this sheep out. And they're, they're using tools, and they get it out, they get it on land, it takes five steps and drums right back into the ditch. And you're just like, that sounds like my life sometimes, how about you? But so we're all sheep, which means we know the voice of our master, but it also means left unto ourselves, we will not choose the best things to do. But I do love the picture how it mentions that others, because he was being faithful to serve in the place where they were going to make sacrifice that other people picked up and caring for his own home. Verse 22, after him, the priests and the men of the plain made repairs. So the priests, again, these guys are not laborers, but when it comes to serving God, all hands on deck. And I love that when it happens. You know what? We all have different lives during the day, and we have different jobs we do during the day, but when we come here to come to church, we all take different roles than we have at work. Somebody who might be the boss at work and someone else who's at an entry level, they might be in different positions in the church. We're all serving together, and it's when we all use our gifts that the church functions the way that it should. After him, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house again, near their home. After that, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. And after him, Benu, the son of Henadad repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. So we're getting back around to the front again. we have more than halfway on our way, going back to the front, going all the way around. So look, if one person tried to build the whole wall by themselves, it would take hundreds of years. If one person tries to do it and everybody else sits back and watches, very little gets done. But notice, everybody's jumping in, everybody's doing work, and guess what? It's going to get done, and it's going to get done well. When the whole body of Christ steps up, when we all get out of our comfort zone, it's amazing what we can do for the Lord in this kingdom. And of course, we need Him to be the one leading the way. Verse 25 it says Palal the son of Uzai made repairs opposite the buttress on the tower which projects from the king's upper house and was by the court of the prison and after him Pedadiah the son of Perush made repairs. Now we get to the next gate. Moreover verse 26 the Nethanim who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east on the projecting tower. Again I wish I could have found a good map that I could have put on the back. It would help you with a visual. But as we're moving around, we're seeing that every place, nothing's being neglected. And the body of Christ, we need to be faithful and diligent that no one and nothing is neglected. We want to make sure that everyone is being faithfully ministered to. But notice here, it says the Nethanim. These guys were actually uh, servants to the Levites. And so these guys were enslaved to the Levites, and they literally had slaves working on the, on the wall as well. They, they, even though it wasn't their call, they, they said they wanted to help too. So you see that all hands are on deck. I think people are getting excited. Guys, when we see God moving, don't you want to be involved in that? When God's doing something amazing, we all say, man, this, temp, this wall's been down 140 years. I want to be a part of putting this wall back up. Uh, not that long ago, you guys know this, um, I got a text on my way back from Colorado for my niece's wedding, and it was from Greg Laurie saying, hey, uh, it was, I was a group text, and I was on it, and it just said, hey, we're having a baptism tomorrow at, at Pirate's Cove, which is from, you see it out in the movie, The Jesus Revolution, and we're expecting 4,500 people to be baptized and over 20,000 people to be there, and we need more pastors to baptize people. And I, so I got up at 6 o'clock the next morning, The last time I was at Pirate's Cove was when my brother got baptized when I was about 12 years old. So I hadn't been there in 50 years. I go out into the water and the the line to get baptized was over half a mile long. And I stood in that water. I was supposed to be out there an hour and a half. I stayed six hours. And by the grace of God, I have no idea how many people I baptized, probably about 150. And 4,500 people got baptized by 20,000 people saying praise songs. Who wants to leave that? I was supposed to come home and do my studying. I said, I'll stay up all night. I'm not going. And I just stayed. Now, at the end of that, a lot of the people were leaving and stuff. But early on, they literally had uh, just this line that went forever. And they were coming out one at a time. And they had spotters. Pastor Dave, this is Susan. She drove here from Kentucky. And then I would say, hi, Susan. So tell me where you're at with the Lord. I'd ask her for a testimony. I'd tell her, well, because of what you've... And I would pray with her. And I'd baptize her and hug her. And she'd walk out and another person walk in. This is so-and-so and so-and-so. They're getting married next week. They drove out from Virginia. You've got to be kidding me. And, but the point I'm making is, when you're in a place where God's doing a work, don't you want to stay there? Don't you want to be a part of it? Well, guess what? This wall's being built. And because everyone was stepping in, it made everyone want to serve. The few people that didn't serve, they're named in here. The dude, Dude, you're in the Bible, bro. And because you're lazy. <laughs> you're, you're a lazy lima bean, man. You, you should have been out there. What are you doing, bro? You missed it, right? And that's it. here's the opportunity to serve the Lord. So now they come to the water gate and verse 26, and it says there, as far as the water gate, toward the east on the projecting tower. So this is gate number seven, and Ephesians 5 tells us, washing by the water of the word of God. Again, another reference to God's word, So, washing by the water of the Word of God. So, how do we cleanse our lives, the Word of God? How do we, you know, this water, Like the the fountain of water is the Holy Spirit pouring out of us. And again, the water of the Word of God is what cleanses us and helps us grow spiritually in our faith. Now, look at the next verse. It says there, verse 7, "...after them the Tekoites, again, their nobles did nothing." prepared another section next to the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. So they had leaders who did nothing, and then they had people who did double. And that sounds like a lot of churches, amen? Where you have people that sit on the sideline and do nothing. And if if they're new to church, okay, we just want you here. We want to serve you. But as believers, the closer we get to the Lord, the more we should want to serve, amen? And again, serving is a blessing. It's a joy, and it's a get-to. So the nobles are sitting on their hands doing nothing, but the common people were faithful to do above and beyond what they were called to do. And there are those that are always willing to go far, uh, go above and beyond, and they counted a privilege, not a burden. And God sees who works, God sees who don't. Noted here, the nobles did nothing, and the common people from that same land were faithful. Now, notice what it says there. The next gate is the horse gate. So We've got the word of God. We've got people being saved. We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now we see a horse gate. In the Bible, where do we see a horse in relationship to Jesus? In Revelation, when he comes back riding on a white horse. Amen? So salvation, following after the things of God, fishers of men, being rooted in the truth, then the valley gate going through the trials of life, uh, setting aside the the sinfulness, putting our flesh to death, the refuse gate, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being washed and cleansed by the water of the word of God daily. And now we have this picture of what it will be like when Jesus comes back. He will come back. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey of peace. He's coming back on a white horse to bring righteous judgment upon the world. Armageddon, har will take place and we will see the Lord ruling and reigning over the world. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. We're going to be right behind him when he's on the white horse. Can there be a better place to be in a war than right behind Jesus? Won't that be good? All the enemies, all those who mock him, we come in behind the Lord. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. He's given people an opportunity to be saved, but he's coming back to bring righteous judgment upon those who reject him, who take the mark of the beast and mock him. Let's finish up. Now, verse 29, notice what it says here. The next gate. So beyond the horse gate, priests made repairs, each of them in front of their own house. After Zadok, the son of Emmer, made repairs in front of his own house. After Shemiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. Now, in the Bible, in Zechariah 14, it tells us that the eastern gate is the gate by which the Messiah Jesus will enter into Jerusalem. So this has significance for the Messiah, Zechariah 14. Uh, The Eastern Gate, they know so much in Jerusalem that the Messiah is going to come through the Eastern Gate. That do you know that just outside the Eastern Gate up on the hill, the Jews bury their people, and they bury them with their caskets above ground? And what they do is they have them laying back this way because they believe when the Messiah comes, they'll raise from the dead, and they want to be able to sit up and see him walking through the Eastern Gate. That's a fact. So if you go to Israel, you just see all these tombs on the hill right outside the gate because they think this is where he's coming. And we, When he comes, we want to sit up and see it. Not kind of work that way, exactly. But they are so convinced from the Old Testament, and here it is as they're going around the gates. This is the gate that's mentioned here, and we know that the Lord will indeed walk through it. It talks about when he comes again, he's going to put his foot on the ground. The mountain's going to split, right? Remember that? And he's going to come marching right through the eastern gate. So we've gotten all the way around to the last gate now in verse 31. Look at verse 30 and 31. It says this. It says, After him, Hanani, the son, verse 30, Shalmiah, Hanan, the, the sixth son of Zelpha repaired another section after him. Again, they're all working. They're all names are listed. They don't skip them over. It shows you that God is a God of detail and that God cares about those who are faithfully serving. Melam, the son of Berkiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. After Melkiah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house of Nethanim, and the merchants in front of gate. Mif- 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 gate, excuse me, the Date gate. Now, that guy, Malch- malchajiah his name's in there. Guess what? He was already in the Bible, but it wasn't for a good thing. Back at Ezra, remember in Ezra where some of the guys were in trouble because they married pagan women? He's listed with the guys who married pagan women. But now we fast forward about 20 years or so, and here he is building the temple are building the walls. Now that tells me that he repented. That tells me that somebody who's outside of God's will can repent, get right, and now being used by God. And guys, because your past may be a mess, you need to know that god it's not too late for God to use you. It's not too late for God to use me, amen? He takes the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I love that his name is here because he's listed as one of the guys who blew it and now he's being, it'sn't it good to end with this verse in the Bible instead of the other one where it just shows he, he was married to a pagan idolater. Now, that last gate, Mifkod, it means review or registry. So it was a gate where things were reviewed. So when people came into Jerusalem, they would come through this gate and they had to register. Oh man, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? They had to like, prove their citizenship to be able to enter into the city, or they had to be you know, vetted before they could enter in. Uh, it's in the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? Now, King David would review also when his soldiers came back from war, they would come through this gate. And King David would stand at the gate as the guys walked in from battle, and he would encourage them when they returned from war, when they passed through the arch, David was there to thank his battle-scarred men for their unselfish loyalty and their bravery. Well, this what's the last thing that's going to take place? So after the great white horse, after Jesus comes back to earth, there's going to be a judgment, and it's called the great white throne judgment. And what's going to take place is all the people who have rejected the Lord, will stand before Almighty God, and they will be judged by Almighty God. And this last gate, as we're going chronologically through the life of the believer and what's going to take place on the earth, we've seen the second coming of Christ. We've seen Him rule and reign. And now we're going to see the great white throne judgment where people will be judged by Almighty God. So this last gate is a place of judgment. It was a place of reviewing that person's life. It was a place where they had to be registered. And guys, you know who gets to enter into that gate? That, that at the end times, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's us. Amen? Well, they had a registry for people that were allowed to come in. The same is true of heaven. And it's not because we're worthy, it's because of what Jesus did for us. Now, what's interesting, look how it ends. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, The goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. So they started the sheep gate, and we went all the way around the wall, all the way around Jerusalem, and we see how each gate was repaired, and now we come all the way back, and we end back at the sheep gate. You know why? Because it all begins and ends with Jesus Christ, because He is the Lamb of God. And because it's where it starts with him and it's where it finishes. He's the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the answer. It starts with him, it ends with him and he's everything in between, amen? And so I just love this picture that we see in all of these gates as they're in this order, not by chance, as they're all being repaired, as they're all coming together to rebuild Jerusalem because guess what? Some days in advance, Jesus is gonna be here. And they're going to have to rebuild, they're rebuilding the temple, knowing that the Messiah is going to come for the first time. So quickly, let's review the gates, we'll close. First, the sheep gate, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The only gate mentioned without bolts and bars, because it's open to all who will come. The fish gate, having been saved, called to be fishers of men to fulfill the great commission, to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. The old gate speaks of the word of God, Jeremiah 6, says, stand in the ways and see, ask for the old paths, where the good way is and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. Again, there's no need for anything new. If it's new, it's not true. The fourth gate, the valley gate, speaks of the trials of life. Yea, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Going through trials is something that we learn from and grow through. The refuse gate, the refuse gate, the dung gate, uh, sinful behavior being removed from our lives, dying to the flesh, being new creations in Christ. The fountain gate is the Holy Spirit flowing out of our lives onto the world around us. The water gate, this is washing by the water of the word of God being cleansed by it daily. As believers, we need to be on the word every day and continually to be cleansed by it. The horse gate speaks of Jesus coming back on a white horse to destroy and judge the enemy and rule and reign with us for a thousand years on the earth. The eastern gate speaks of the battle of Armageddon. Jesus enters through the eastern gate, Zechariah 14. The Mifkad gate means the review, the registry, the white, great white throne judgment. And then back to the sheep gate, the place of God's grace and his shed blood upon the cross of Calvary. Guys, the Bible rocks. And it's in there for a reason. And we can take chapters like this and just blow through it and act like, well, there's nothing there. Guys, if it's in the Bible, there's always something there. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. I know that chapters like this can be tedious, but Lord, it's so good when we take the time to really examine what you've written in your word, none by chance. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. That we wouldn't like, be like the takeaway nobles who sit back and watch everyone else serve and just sit on their hands and do nothing. Lord, you know those who are being faithful to serve you and those who are sitting back, letting others do the serving. Lord, I pray that we serving you would not be uh, a drudgery. It wouldn't be a have to, it would be a get to and it would be a joy. And we thank you, Lord, for the promises in your word that there's a day coming when you're coming back for us. And we will rule and reign with you for a thousand years. And until then, Lord, help us to be busy about your work. When you return, may you find us with our hands faithful to what you've called us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...